Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You got to move that data around. Unless you regularly work in low-level languages, networking protocols and the OSI model are not something you think about very often. However, when problems do arise, you have to refresh yourself very quickly. We're going to discuss the OSI model and the seven layers of networking. We'll briefly talk about each layer, what it does, and how it relates to the others around it. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, I talked about this in the live stream, but I've got to tell the story again. So we were getting a new fridge, and it was supposed to be delivered last Thursday. So I took a day, you know, worked from home, all set up. They show up, they get it off the truck, they go and look. And, uh, yeah, they can't figure out how to turn off the water. So they look under the sink and they're like, oh, there's no cutoff under here. And, you know, then we walk out in the front yard. The guys look at the Nashville Electric Service box and go, oh, we need to get in there to turn off the water, which should have been my first clue. We go from there to the actual water cutoff in the front yard. Uh, but it's kind of between my house and my neighbor's house. And so I go over there and, you know, of course, these guys will not touch the pipes. Even though they install dishwashers, they won't touch plumbing. But whatever, man. Um, so I'm like, I'll take care of it. You know, I mean, you look at me, I, I kind of look like somebody that would just go ahead and handle that. So I reach yep. down in there with the pliers and I start to grab and I twist. You know, my neighbor comes out. What are you doing? Why are you cutting my water off? I'm like, oh, it's my water. It's my, my, you know, my connection. He goes, no, I'm pretty sure it's mine. He goes, well, actually, I don't know. Let me hang on a minute. He goes in his house, turns on the water in his sink and leaves his front door open. I had my front door open with my water running in my sink so we could hear it yeah. cut off. Close it up. Wait a minute. Keep waiting. Water keeps running. Both houses. We don't know where that goes. <laughs> you cut somebody's water off. <laughs> um, we either cut somebody's water off or the valve was broken. Yeah, and so then, the you know, then we'll go back inside and it's like, okay, well, we got to find a cutoff inside the house, um, which turns out it's right behind me here in the server room, but I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so what the long and the short of it was is the, the refrigerator was off the truck and could not be installed. That's and so they had to put it back on the truck and go. Um, and, you know, I ended up working until like eight o'clock that night because I was so ticked off after that. That incident, it took me like two hours to calm down enough to be able to actually write code. I was just infuriated. So anyway, they're coming back out tomorrow, and we're, I'm going to idiot-proof the entire thing. It's going to be completely perfect. All the stuff is going to be handled. The water's going to be cut off when they get here. Everything's going to be cleared out of the way. I want all the pictures off the walls. The dogs are going to be locked up. Front door is going to be wide open. The doormat's going to be out of the way. The shoes are going to be out of the way. There's going to be nothing they can screw up. <laughs> and yet something will happen. Something will happen, I'm sure. No, but like between point A and point B, I intend to like not have this problem. And, you know, this kind of highlights something that I've felt at various points in my life. Do you ever like look around and, and, and realize just how much time you lose to people that don't seem to uh, be able to pour water out of a boot with instructions on the heel? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so I might sound a little frustrated (laughs) at the moment. So how about you? <laughs> that was great. We just hired a new guy to handle some of our database stuff and focus on creating reports. So I'm actually in a pretty good mood because that means I don't have to do that. Right. Though I was in the office all day today helping him get set up and settled in. 
very worthy sacrifice of my time because it's going to be great. I was recently on our sibling show, Junior Developer Toolbox. I know you were on there not too long ago. I was talking about what it's like working for the government. That was interesting because both Dave and Aaron have government technology experience, uh, though we did have some technical difficulties right around the middle of the recording. Same kind of stuff that we've run into with uh, using similar technologies. Just finished watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Uh, so when writing this episode, I really wanted to compare the seven layers of networking to the seven homunculi, which are based on the seven deadly sins. You know, that's what was going through my mind at the time. Uh, if you haven't seen the show, it's really good. I'm told that it was closer to the manga than the original 2003 show. I watched that back when it was on because some of our friends were like, you got to watch this, you got to watch this. And so I did. I'm like, all right, this is actually an anime I could enjoy. So I don't really watch much anime, but I enjoyed that one. Um, I liked how they used the animation to convey the maturity of the brothers so that it was more childlike at the beginning, but becomes more serious with sharper lines towards the end. Well, except for any scene with Major Armstrong. That and him and Izumi's husband, total bromance going on. That's all I got to <laughs> say about it. The, it, it was an interesting use of art in an animated series. And speaking of art, I have something artistic for IOTs. This week for IOTs, I have a project called Artie IOT. This IOT project is for the artsy or fashion-minded in the audience. You'll create a necklace of dangling lights that you can control by changing the color or turning them on or off. It uses a web-enabled Arduino and requires a little bit of knitting or sewing skills. Now, this tutorial was actually really great because it broke things down and be really good for beginners, showing lots of detailed images. Uh, the project looks like something that my nieces would really enjoy, though they likely need a little bit of adult help for some of the sewing parts. So, Sharp objects tend to do that. Yeah. So who's talking to us this week? Well, we grabbed an email from Doug, said, could you do a show about unit tests or software testing in general? I do some Python programming and would like to include automated unit tests, but I don't even know what they look like. I have the tests at the bottom of my functions, but I'm sure that it is not complete. I would also like to hear a show with Ethan Banks from the Packet Pushers. He is a top-notch network engineer who has been migrating from a variety of tools to network automation using Python and APIs. I've been enjoying your shows and listen to each one. Doug, thanks so much for the uh, the suggestion. We do have unit testing as an idea in our backlog, and we'll probably get to that within this year. As for Ethan Banks, uh, we don't have guests on very often, so we'll have to see about scheduling something. What he's doing does sound rather interesting. Uh, I do hate to admit that I had not heard of that show before reading this email. Had you heard of it? I hadn't, but... Um I've actually, I'm actually kind of limited on the number of development podcasts I listen to. I used to listen to a ton and now it's just, you know, three or four. There's a lot out there. So yeah. I, I tend to stay towards the ones in my realm. Yeah. And I don't listen to as many of the general development podcasts as I did say three or four years ago when I first started. So yeah, I've got to where I, I kind of mix it a little bit because mm -hmm. I, I found that I was getting a little burnout. Yeah. 
So, Doug, send us an email with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google+. We're also on Instagram, Path, and Tumblr. And as of tonight, YouTube. So we did our first YouTube Live, and we'll be posting more stuff on there. You can check us out every week on Facebook and Twitter and Periscope and YouTube Live on Monday nights. We talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer a few listener questions. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. It's that time of year again. Beach and I are getting ready for Nashville's premier polyglot technology conference. This year, Music City Code has combined forces with Music City Agile and Music City Data, and combined, they form Music City Tech. Have you ever wondered what it's like to record a podcast? Sit in the audience as we host a panel at the conference that will later, through the magic of editing, become an episode. Meet us and the Junior Developer Toolbox crew at our booth and get some really cool Complete Developer swag. Music City Tech is a three-day event from May 31st to June 2nd. Consisting of simultaneous conferences, Music City Code, Music City Agile, and Music City Data, each focused on a particular community of technology professionals held at Vanderbilt University. Tickets go on sale April 1st with early bird pricing at 50% off. Attendees can register at completedeveloper.musiccitytech.com. Open System Interconnection, or the OSI model, is a conceptual framework that defines how to implement network protocols. It was developed by the International Standards Organization, ISO, in order to standardize communication functions. The goal is interoperability of different systems through a standard protocol. The concept is based on the work of Charles Bachman at Honeywell Information Services. OSI breaks network communication into three upper and four lower layers for a total of seven. The lower layers are concerned with moving data around, whereas the upper layers are concerned with how that data is used by an application. In the four lower layers, you have a data transmission layer that is then wrapped in an error prevention layer. And the three upper layers focus on the control of a connection and then the presentation and interaction with the data. These layers do a specific job and then pass the data onto the next layer, up or down, depending on the direction of the flow. Each layer is a set of protocols for communicating to other devices at that level, also known as peers. They exchange what are called protocol data units, PDUs. You know, we're about to go into abbreviation purgatory here. Oh, yeah. There's seven layers of abbreviation (laughs) stuff. Oh, no. Um, I I, I also thought about comparing this to the nine circles of hell in Dante's Inferno. But, you know, I, I, I refrained from doing any of those kind of comparisons. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not sure which one is sloth, you know. <laughs> that's that's really the trick. <laughs> the physical layer. Yeah. <laughs> Each PDU contains data to be transmitted in the form of a service data unit, SDU, as well as a layer or protocol-specific header and or footer. Data is like an ogre or an onion. It's wrapped in a lot of layers and probably stinks. <laughs> you like that? That's <laughs> one of Beach's little show notes in here. All right. <laughs> The data is then processed following a certain pattern. Data that is to be transmitted is composed at the topmost layer of the transmitting device into a protocol data unit, PDU. That PDU is then passed down to the next lowest layer, where it is known as the SDU. So 
what at a higher layer is the protocol unit at the next layer down becomes the data that that layer is passing. At the next lowest layer, the SDU is concatenated with a header, a footer, or both, producing a PDU for that layer, and then is passed down a layer. This process continues until reaching the lowest level from which the data is transmitted to the receiving device. At the receiving device, the data is then passed from the lowest back up to the highest uh, as a series of SDUs, or service data units, while being successively stripped from each layer's header and footer until reaching the topmost layer where the last of the data is consumed. Yeah, and so this this sounds kind of complicated, so I'm going to give an analogy that I think is probably useful. You know those Russian nesting dolls, like where you have the doll and you put it inside the other doll and you put it inside the other doll? Well, imagine that your data packet, the stuff that you actually want to send, is a piece of candy that's in the innermost doll. And every layer you go down, you put it inside another doll. And then I hand the doll to the other person. The other person takes the layer off all the way down to the candy. Right. That's how that protocol stack works. Except for the fact that the candy is at the topmost layer. <laughs> well, it depends on how you look at it, right? Yeah. It's on the innermost. Innermost, yeah. It's so that, that would be packets. That would be layer seven and then gets wrapped and wrapped and wrapped and then passed. Right. So that I, I like that. I could have used that last night when I was writing this episode. But, you know, I, I figured it out. Yeah. Speaking of the episode... In this episode, we're going to look at what each level does, starting at the bottom and then working our way up. For each level, we'll discuss what the protocols at that level define and provide some other associated definitions. Now, this is only an introduction to the topic of networking layers. This is not a matter of overcomplicating a simple topic. These are difficult and deep concepts that we're just scratching the surface on in this episode. Yeah, I had an entire class in college on this, and we just scratched the surface in there. I was going to say, we could do two months of episodes on just what I found researching this, doing one layer per episode and then one on how they all connect, and still barely get into it. I can completely see how an entire semester would just barely scratch the surface after digging into this. It just keeps going. And, you know, sometimes I like to to understand where things started and how they came about. So go to like the very base and move up. And this is just, it, it goes so far back into like telecommunication protocols and, you know, way, way back to... Yeah, things get nasty when the core problem you face is physics. Yeah. Especially no. elect- the physics of electromagnetism. <laughs> and metallurgy and material science and all that stuff. Like you're dealing with all those things at the basis level. So that's why this is so rough. And speaking of physics, we're going to start talking with the lower layers. The very first one is the physical. And the physical layer is concerned with transmitting and receiving an unstructured raw bitstream. And this is done over the over a physical medium. You know, this is your signal going out over the wire yeah. or over the fiber optic cable or Whatever it happens to be. And the protocols here describe the electrical, mechanical, and functional interfaces of that medium. Uh, An example of layer one protocol are the standards around Ethernet cables and how they're laid out so that all Ethernet ports function similarly. Yeah, and you weren't over here when we wired... And ran Cat Six here. In no, the house. I wasn't. Um, I remember you, you telling me about it. You, know, you have to you have to lay the cables out. You know, they're they're color coded, mm-hmm. so and I can't ever remember the order. Although there's a piece of paper over there that has it probably, um, but the the cables are color coded, and you lay them out flat, you know, in a certain order, and you cut the ends. And this is this is cables inside the cable. Yeah, 
the twisted pairs and you have to lay them out and you cut the ends and you put the cap on and you have to clamp mm-hmm. and then you have to test continuity. Those cables are expected to be in the same place because otherwise stuff doesn't work. Yeah. So the point of this layer is to define that relationship between a device and the physical transmission medium. Right. So in, in that example, it was Ethernet or Cat6 cable was the transmission medium and the device would be whatever you plug it into. It's concerned with the layout of pins, voltage, line impedance, and other physical characteristics of transmission. Like, looking into this, it just kept going. Yeah, because, like, there's only so far that, for instance, a CAT6 cable can run. Right. At some point, you have signal attenuation, and mm-hmm. it's your, your signal gets lost. Again, you start running into physics. Yeah. Bit rate and data encoding is controlled at the physical layer. It also determines the way the encoded bits will be transmitted, either digital, baseband, or analog broadband. Uh, Network topology is the arrangement of various elements in a communications network. Physical topology is the placement of the various components of a network. That's like your device location, where the cables are installed, where they're going. You know, a lot of times what kind of medium they're going through Mm -hmm. can have an effect. You know, like if there's electromagnetic fields or things like that, that's a that can be an issue with um, that can be an issue at that level. Logical topology illustrates how data flows within the network, and we're not going to go too deep into the this idea because honestly, network topology could be its own episode. And I put that in our backlog. Um, a common example would be a LAN, local area network, like what I have down here, where any given node in the LAN has one or more physical links to other devices. Um, you know, this is something, you know, you experienced in college too, right? When you got together and you had a LAN party and people hooked up their machines. Mm-hmm. Um, See, I think of the Halo LAN parties that we had, because that was big right after we got out of college. Yeah, this was a, a little earlier where people like, nobody had laptops and you lugged a CRT monitor and a desktop. I, I remember hearing about those. ran yeah. cables down the hall. Uh, I'm just thinking and, of when you had like, like four Xboxes or I think the 360s, you could get eight. And yeah. you, you create like a ring network with them. Oh, yeah. Good old token ring. Man. Oh, yeah. cool. So the physical layer also sets out the transmission mode or directionality of the communication. And we're just going to hit on a few definitions here. Simplex is a unidirectional communication channel sending information in one direction only. And that's the easiest to implement, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you, you would see that in a lot of older setups because yeah. that tech is a lot Simpler, because you don't have to worry about, is somebody talking to me while I'm trying to talk? Half-duplex is a bi-directional communication channel. However, only one direction may be communicating at a time. So when I was reading on this, I was thinking of like a walkie-talkie. And the first one would be like a loudspeaker. Yeah, that's a great... I, I couldn't think of one for the first one. That, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Full-duplex is also a bi-directional communication channel that allows simultaneous communication. Right, which is like your telephone. Right. Or at least like your experience of talking on the telephone. Mm-hmm. It gets a little more complex when you start talking about IP telephony and what's going on way down in there. Yeah. Yeah. But it is it is like you can compare it to talking on a telephone. Yeah. And I think the you know the big deal too is we have these layers of abstraction specifically so you can say, okay, I have something that's, you know, a, a half duplex type setup, but it acts like full duplex because I'm managing things well. It's like uh, process affinity and Mm-hmm. And things like that in Windows, like your your computer is not necessarily running two things at the same time, but it's switching between them quick enough that you can't tell. Right. 
The next layer is the data link. Uh, the data link layer is concerned with error-free transfer of data frames from one node to another over the physical layer. Uh, this is a link between two directly connected nodes. And what it's doing is it detects and corrects errors from the physical layer. Now, let's talk a little bit about what kind of errors can happen so that you understand uh, what's going on. We talked about electromagnetic interference. Uh, you know, what happens with cables when they're near magnets or near mm -hmm. electrical sources and motor kicks up, yeah. uh, those kind of things. It can also be uh, the effects of solar radiation, you know, or you know, solar flares, those kind of things hitting long stretched out cables. We'll do these, funky things. Uh, rain just, fade over satellite transmissions. Yeah. I say these are just things that you don't think about day to day. Right. Because you do not want to be thinking about rain fade on a satellite transmission when you're trying to write a single page application. Yeah. I mean, the, there are people that do think about these things. And they don't think about single page apps. Right. And, and they have, you know, engineer in their title. And right. It, it does this by establishing the logical link between nodes and terminating it. Higher layers can assume an error-free transmission because of what the data link does. And this is like what I said about the four lower levels. You have a transmission layer and then an error layer. So the transmission layer is the physical. The error prevention is the data link for the physical layer. A data frame is a container for a single packet of data that is to be transmitted. And a few definitions here. Frame traffic control restricts the transmitting node when there is not a frame buffer available. So if the node that is receiving doesn't have any more availability to take anything in, the data link layer can say, hey, stop transmitting while I deal with this, and then you can start back up. Right. Because otherwise, what would happen? Well, if you've got a faster internet connection, you could kill somebody's machine on a slow one. Right. Right. There's a, there's a negotiation process between disparate speeds or you'd miss things yeah you know you, you'd pass it in it's like there's nowhere for it to go so it just goes away frame delimiting creates and recognizes frame boundaries and so that's basically your packet size is you know it's basically mm -hmm. pre-negotiated so that you know how how many bits should be in there frame sequencing puts the frames that are being transferred into order right so, so like if you're downloading a web page um, that's not all going to be in one packet Mm -hmm. it's going to be a bunch of separate packets and they're being transmitted. Some of them are failing due to errors. So you've got to have a sequencing thing so you can recreate that chunk of data and then interpret it. Mm -hmm. And speaking of errors, frame error checking, make sure that the frame's integrity is intact. Right. And this is where you do like, uh, you know, CRC, you know, cyclic mm -hmm. redundancy checks. Uh, you do a mathematical operation that's one way on the data in there and get a result out of it. And you, pack that in with it. And so when it goes to the other end, they check the data again. If it doesn't match, they throw it out and get it again. Right. Frame acknowledgement is a way in which the data layer prevents errors by requiring retransmission of frames that were not acknowledged. So when that happens and it says, hey, I got what I was expecting, it sends an acknowledgement back. When it that doesn't happen, it doesn't send an acknowledgement and says, hey, resend that. And it also handles duplicate frames on the receiving end. So if you get the same frame twice. Right. Because you want at least once transmission. Yes. The data link layer is divided into two sub layers. The MAC or medium access control layer is responsible for access and permissions between devices. Right. And this is where your MAC address on your machine, that's the layer that corresponds with. The LLC or logical link control layer encapsulates the network layer protocols and controls error checking and frame synchronization. 
So that's mm-hmm. the stuff that's on top that goes, hey, okay, now I have access to it, but how do I reassemble this thing to pass it up the network mm-hmm. stack? So the next highest layer, layer three, is the network layer. And this is concerned with switching, routing, and fragmentation of data. It decides which physical path the data will take. And this determination is based on criteria such as network conditions, priority, lots of other things. It keeps the upper layers from needing to know anything about the data transmission and any intermediate switching technologies used to connect systems. Right. And that's, that's why from my box, um, you know, or my laptop sitting here, if I plug in to the network or if I go over the wireless or, you know, any number of other ways, I can still use the same IP address to get to that same box. Right. Is that the routing is not something I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. A network is a place where many nodes can be connected. So in Will's example, his laptop, his desktop, and my laptop would all be nodes right. on the the wireless network or wired network, depending on how we're connected. But yeah, yeah through that same router. Right. Well, and also through the switch up there. Right. Yeah. Each node on the network has its own address, and this provides a connectionless communication, meaning that data packets can travel to a recipient without the need for an acknowledgement at this level. Right. Um, we'll get into the other part here in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's actually the next level up. Uh, this allows the network to find a way to deliver the data to its destination. So what's sending, like the higher up what is sending the data, doesn't care how it gets there. Right. It just cares that it gets there. Yeah. And this layer is completely concerned with how it gets there. So like the physical layer was concerned with physically transmitting things, either literally physically or over the air um, through you know radio transmissions, what, um, whatnot. It, then the data link layer was concerned with, all right, acknowledgements, checks, and error preventions. This layer is concerned with the routing through that. From point A to point B. Yeah, and it's not concerned with acknowledgement and error checking. That's right. the next layer up. Right. And so this is the layer, like if you're, you know, if your Comcast is acting up and it's being really slow, you know, you can do a trace route to mm-hmm. say Google and you can see in that list because it'll go to each node on the way out. Right. And you can see the path and see where it's falling down. Mm-hmm. And that way, you, when you call Comcast tech support and you tell them about the problem, they can ignore it. However, you gave them the right answer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is so true. Not that I've ever had that problem. <sighs> Me either. Never. Never. Yeah. So basically what the network is doing is routing, which determines how the data will get from one node to another. Routers are network layer intermediate systems that move packets of data from the sender to the destination. And it's the same kind of deal with switching. Yeah. Um, And that's why I've got, I've got a switch and I've got the the router down here because Mm -hmm. let's say that, you know, somebody's upstairs and they're on the wireless network. I don't want that going over the rest of my network. I just want, you know, from them to the router and then out. Yes. Whereas if it's on a hub, it's going to be everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it kind of cuts down the the congestion of traffic. Yeah. So this path may mean going through intermediary nodes, like Will was talking about, to get to the final destination. So when you, you do that check, you may not go from your, you won't, you won't go from your laptop directly to the Google servers. Right. You know, it, it doesn't even matter if you're at Google, you're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it goes through an intermediary to reach the final destination and no bad movie jokes, please. Well, like I, you know, 
just to talk about, you know, kind of uh, what goes on. Like I have 30 hops between me and Google uh-huh. right now. Um, so, you know, I just ran a trace route. It's going out, you know, it went out through um, my router and then went through some host that I don't know what that is. And then it goes to some place on Hicks Road uh, and then it goes out through Comcast and then it goes through multiple layers of Comcast stuff and then starts getting into IP addresses that I don't recognize. It eventually will go through Virginia and then it'll hit Google. Interesting. What we're really getting at is that these peer protocols exist between nodes and its immediate neighbor, but the neighbor may be a node through which the data is routed and not the destination. Right. So think about it like uh, you remember back in school playing the game of uh, telephone. Mm -hmm. Think about that with error checking. That's essentially what a network is. Well, we're not at the error checking level yet, but right. I see what you're saying. Right, because there's a route that it goes through. You know you know how the, the packet's going to progress and get from point A to point B. In the game in school, you didn't error check. Here, the error check has already happened before the routing happens. Mm-hmm. So everybody has to repeat it exactly the same way. Yeah. And the person at the other end can send the thing back and, and validate. So this layer is like that game. Right. But when you add the other layers in, you get the you get that error checking. Right. And you also get the callback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what this does include is some traffic control, as routers can tell a sender to refrain from transmitting if all the buffers are full. Right. And I have that set up here. My wife and my daughter get on Netflix, and it goes through the router here. I actually have got it where it does not allow them to use more than a certain amount of bandwidth, because otherwise everything dies down here. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Right. Now, it's thus far, they've not been able to strain it because it is Cat 6. Yeah, that's nice. And I paid for the, you know, the high end, uh, you know, like the highest end home connection that I could get. Nice. And so it's the Netflix traffic does not seem to damage it. But I mean, this is what, uh, you know, Comcast and some of those other companies, it's also why they throttle mm-hmm. some of these too, because if they didn't, yeah, you know, they would have problems. Now, they're also in competition with Netflix. So that, Makes it a little bit more of a murky area. So speaking of throttling, usage accounting functions keep track of packets forwarded by intermediate systems. And this can help with billing information. Right. Microsoft said that. I don't know why I put that in. I I mean, I I was drinking rum. Well, uh, you know, back in the dorms, you know, we had the we had the network set up there and they would monitor and see who was using the most bandwidth Mm -hmm. Um, because there were certain people that really used a lot and they were. You know, this was before the days of torrenting. I think it was like LimeWire or something was kind of coming out. It was one of those early, early. Oh no, um, the torrenting or the it wasn't, it wasn't BitTorrent though. It was some other uh, no, it wasn't file bit, sharing. Uh, it was um, uh, what was the one? The music one. Uh, that the net something. Yeah. That my, that uh, Metallica lost a lot of fans over. Ah, uh, yeah. There was. There was that, and then there's also a lot of people playing games. And yeah. so they would, they would do QoS, you know, quality of service stuff to shrink down that traffic and go, yeah, you can't have, you know, full speed gaming when everybody else is trying to study for mm-hmm. finals. No, I mean, this is also back before you would get on and watch. Yeah, we were happy that we had just gotten um, off of coax. Yeah. Well, let's say this was, this was before you would get on and watch videos to study and spend. Like, you wouldn't yeah. use a lot of bandwidth to study. Right. There were very few things on the internet back then that were video, and they yeah. did not like those in Christian school dorms, <laughs> on average. This was uh, 1998 to 2002, mm-hmm. 
roughly. Um, you know, my dorm had the Cat Five connections, and we were the you know the new like they had just put that in. And you yours, were the new hotness. Yeah, and yours still had the old uh, you know the old uh, not token ring, but like the coax cables, where every so often you know one card in the building would would freak out and everybody's internet goes away. Yep, I remember that. Good old packet storms. Frame fragmentation is the breaking up of a packet into smaller frames of data to be reassembled on the receiving end. And this happens a lot when the downstream router's maximum transmission unit, MTU, is smaller than the packet size. And each frame fragment of the original packet is sent independently and then sorted and put back together on the receiving end at this layer. Right. And and the point of this is so that you don't have to actually go all the way, you know, trace your whole route to the other box to figure out the MTU for that transmission channel. You just send the stuff and any any device that's in in that yeah. path fixes that because then you can swap devices out as you go. And how it gets to the destination doesn't matter. Right. And it can change during a transmission. Right. But this... In some cases. This layer determines that and that MTU is the next node. Right. So... If the next node's MTU is smaller than your packet size, you're going to break it down. Right. The final layer in the lower layers, layer four, is the transport layer. And this is concerned with delivering error-free data without loss or duplication. So just like the data link layer was the error protection layer for the physical, this is the error protection layer for the network layer. Right. And so this is where you go from, you know, for instance, your network layer would be like UDP. Mm -hmm. And this is where you go to TCP IP. Like UDP, you send a message, you don't know that they got it. Whereas TCP IP, they send an acknowledgement. That's extra traffic, Mm -hmm. but you know that you actually got it. (laughs) Then we'll we'll talk about TCP in just a little bit. So like you're you're thinking right along the same lines. (laughs) Yes. I almost got the network plus cert. I should have done that when I was in college because I I had like I would have passed it with flying colors. Mm Mm-hmm. That was Hood's class. Oh, yeah. You would have been good. Yeah. So when you get a guy that does high energy physics, like that's what he got his PhD in. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about network topology and how the physics goes into it. It makes a difference. So the transport layer removes the concern about the transfer between peers from the higher levels. You know, how much is needed in the transport layer really depends on the services available from the network layer. The larger and more complex the network layer, the smaller the transport layer needs to be. However, small or unreliable network layers need larger transport layers to prevent data loss or corruption. It's basically a, a situation where the size of one determines the size of the other because you got. It's almost like you have to have a certain amount of mass. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. Well, if you uh, have a very reliable network, yeah, you don't need as much error checking. Whereas if you have an unreliable network and it's, you know, this is like the way it's. Yeah. The way you have to resolve problems gets a lot Mm -hmm. more complex as you, as the scale of the problems goes up. Right. The transport layer improves the reliability of a given network connection through flow control, segmentation, desegmentation, and error control. Uh, It controls the flow by telling the transmitting node to slow down or stop if the buffers are full. Again, this is. Pretty similar to other things we've seen lower down. Data is split into smaller frames in order to be passed down to the network layer. Transport layer can accept relatively large messages. Uh, There are strict message size limits, though, imposed by the network or lower layer. 
Right. And that's typically based again on your MTUs. Mm -hmm. And those are typically based on like physical memory. Yeah. It, 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 it goes down to where like when we were talking at the data link layer and the physical layer of, you know, the data link layer handles the frames and frame delimiting and that kind of stuff. Well, that's what determines the MTU at the network layer, which then determines the size of the message at the transport layer. So, like, these these all interrelate. That's why I said we could have one whole episode just on how the layers interrelate. Session multiplexing puts several sets of data or messages into one logical link and tracks which messages belong to which sessions. So, that's sort of like... Um, it's sort of like at the data link layer where it puts those frames that were, were fragmented back into uh, a sequence. This does this, but for the network layer. There are five classes of the connection mode for the transport layer, ranging from class zero to class four. And I'm, I really love the zero indexing here. I mean, just, just the nerd in me loves it. Class zero contains no error recovery. Right. And this is for a lot of, you'll see this with a lot of real time type systems mm -hmm. um, or things where you can have a packet drop and it's okay. Yeah. Um, like, like for instance, we were streaming video, right? If we were transmitting that and it's like, nobody's going to encode this and do anything with it. They're just watching it. Well, if they miss a frame, that frame's gone, but there's another frame coming. Yeah. And the frames are, you know, we're, we're transmitting at a very high frame rate. Right. So one dropped frame is not going to be a big deal. You know, we may look a little choppy in our movement, but that's about it. Right. And, and it would degrade the quality of the stream to go back and recover those yeah. skipped frames because now it's going to get even jerkier and it's going to create network congestion. You got a bunch of people hitting that. Mm -hmm. Now you have a cascading failure situation. Yeah, and it's it's designed for use on network layers that provide error-free connections. Now, class four is really the closest to your transmission control protocol or your TCP. Right. Packets may be lost, duplicated, or delivered out of order when passing over the wire, but TCP fixes these problems and provides reliable, ordered, and error-checked delivery. Right. And, and again, this is something that we could really go in-depth, like... I probably spent 45 minutes just reading about TCP IP. Yeah. And I, I, I pulled this one point out of that because I'm like, all right, let's hit the highlight, but we're going to have an episode on TCP IP. Yeah. Just how the, how the whole handshake happens yes. and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's coming down the line. So for uh, your upper layers, uh, you have your session. That's and, the layer five. Right. And the session layer is concerned with establishing, maintaining, and ending connections between applications. Um, again, under the hood, this is stateless. Mm -hmm. The session is basically creating state. Right. Right. That's why we call it that same thing in the web. You know, this is not a web session. It's, hey, this is a conversation between two people or two nodes talking. And so it provides for full duplex, half duplex, and simplex operations. Even if it's a one-way communication channel, it's still a session. Mm -hmm. It also establishes ways of checking, ending, and then restarting connections. So, like, I think when I see session, when I was writing this, I was thinking of my data access layer where I'm connecting my repositories to my database. Right. You open a connection and then you yeah. talk to it and yeah. you do the things and then you disconnect. And I have a, a session provider factory that creates the session and then I call the session from the repository. Right. So, that's what I was thinking about the whole time I was writing this. And the deeper I got into it, the more I'm like, hey, th this actually 
is what I'm doing. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, was, it was one of those things where I like, I'm like, how can I relate this to what I'm doing and understand it? And sometimes I'm a little bit off and you're like, that's not exactly what you're doing. But the deeper I got into this, the more I'm like, hey, well, I, I picked the right it. one. Yeah. Um, you know, because you, you keep going deeper down and eventually you get to something that does not have state. Right. Right. And that's the point of this whole thing. So your session layer allows for the establishment, maintenance, and termination of a session. And a session, in this sense, is that connection between two machines or applications, and it provides support for the session through processes to allow the communication and security. Right. And this layer is responsible also for the graceful closure of a session. So, in other words, if you've been on a phone call where somebody has just disconnected in the middle of talking, that's oh. a disgraceful termination of a session. I hate it when that happens. Like, um, my mom has this one little area that if she's driving and we're on the phone, if I'm talking, I'll just cut off. Right. Like, if she's talking, if it's, if it's transmitting, it stays, but it's, it's going between towers. And if I'm talking, it just cuts off. And I don't know that she's not hearing me because, like, I may be telling her a story. I may be telling her explaining something and I'm talking and then I finish and there's like, and there's, there's nothing, nothing, and you don't know which packets she got. Right. Right. So, if you've got a machine on the other end that's acting on those packets, mm -hmm. you have to reestablish contact and go, okay, what did you get? You know, wh where where were you in the process? What do I need to send you? Right. That kind and of you thing. go through the exact same protocol you would with talking to your mother, except you're talking to your mother in order. Well, okay. Some of your conversations, you do kind of go on. <laughs> so, maybe this is... Maybe this is actually a fairly accurate <laughs> metaphor for this. <laughs> no offense, man. Sometimes you can't land the plane. <laughs> I, I, hey, man, I've, I have been working on that since I was in elementary school, and I've gotten better. You got to admit, I'm better than I was in college. That's true. You yeah. know, and I, in college, I was a lot better than I was when I was five. Yeah. So, um, this is part of the TCP. Uh, checkpointing and recovery typically are not used in the internet protocol suites, TCP IP. Right. Cause there's this whole handshake protocol. Right. For that stuff. Th that kind of takes care of that. But this, these are parts of the session layer. And part of the reason too, is that, um, you know, when you're getting up to this level, now you're starting to run into a lot of compression things that are happening. Mm -hmm. A lot of encryption, just a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, yeah. that make it complicated to check. Mm -hmm. So the next layer up layer six is the presentation layer. And this is concerned with transforming and translating data. It takes data from the application and transforms it into a format that can be sent over the network. On the reverse, it takes the data that comes in from the network and translates it back into a format that the application can use. Yeah, and you can think of this as being uh, somewhat analogous to uh, serializing a chunk of data mm -hmm. and deserializing it. Yeah. Is that that's the idea, right? Now, when you're serializing it and making a string out of a chunk of data, and then you send it over the network, the network is actually processing that into something else. So, what I was thinking with this, just sort of as I was writing this out, was if the the lower levels were how I was sending information back and forth. The session layer was all right. Here's that connection, and you know, maintaining that. The presentation layer was really where I'm working in the in my API right. and the application layer, which we're going to talk about next, was the UI. And it really hit me working, you know, writing out this presentation layer information where I'm like, like it, it's not an exact model, but yeah. it's like this is kind of in my mind, in my world, what I'm doing. I can see that. 
Yeah, it, it, it made sense to me where like, all right, application is the UI, presentation is shaping it for the UI. Yeah, it, it's the API. It's yeah. like applying the business logic yeah. to it, either one way or the other. The session is my repositories. It's like my connection to the database. And then the lower layers are how it gets to the database and back. I can see that. Yeah, that's that, it just it made sense to me that way. It may help other people understand it. To yeah, think of it that way. Because it's really understanding how the how the layered abstraction does this, not mm-hmm. necessarily really getting into the nitty-gritty as much. Yeah. And the, the presentation layer acts as a buffer to avoid compatibility problems, which is something that I do in my APIs is like I take the data that's coming back and I apply business logic, I alter it so that when it goes to the front end and they take it and present it is in a format that they can present and make sense. Right. And we used to run into this a lot more, um, you know, back in the day, like, you know, we, we had that episode on strings, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, the difference between a big Indian string and little Indian and, uh, you know, ASCII and Unicode and EBCDIC and, you know, trying to negotiate some kind of protocol and, and stuff this data into that. Oh yeah. I, I, I read all about that. Like yeah. the, the ASCII and ANSI and all that stuff was in the material I read and I, I kind of left a lot of that out because I thought that was going too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. We'd already kind of talked about it a little bit in the strings and we can get into it in a future episode. Yeah. The big thing is, is you want, when you send a byte array to somebody, you want the byte array to mean the same thing to them that it meant to you. Exactly. Right. Uh, it's, it's sort of like uh, cross cultural gestures. Mm-hmm. There's certain gestures you don't make to, I don't know, Italians that you would make to Americans and not think anything of it. There's certain gestures you don't make to British. Yeah. And you make to Americans and don't think anything of it. Yeah. There was a whole list of things when my first trip to England, which was through school, that I was told not to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And did you did you put a blank by each of them and check them off? And <laughs> them? That's what we always did with the rule books. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> but to, and that's what the presentation layer does is... It has those rules. And to me, like I said, it has the business logic. It has the, all right, let me put this into terms that make sense here. Right. Well, because I'm, a peace sign in England still means peace, but you turn it around yeah. and like over here, it would usually mean two. Right. But over there, it means something a lot different. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And that's... Um, and any anyone from England that listens, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I like the people that told me this may have have been mistaken. That'd be funny if they were, but, um, but you know, think about things like, uh, from your web browser, when you have to send stuff back to your, back to your server, Mm -hmm. um, if you need to send a question mark in that data and it's in the query string, right? You have to shape that data so that the other end doesn't go, Oh, this is the beginning of the query string. Oh yeah. This is like, this is where you parameterize your, your SQL that you're sending in so that you don't get SQL injection errors. You, yeah. This layer is how you avoid Bobby tables. Yeah. Speaking of which, it, it provides that data conversion, compression, and encryption and converts data to the best format for the application or the best format to be passed through the network. The one term we're going to talk about is data compression, and that reduces the number of bits that need to be transmitted. So it it takes that information from the application layer and compresses it down takes out the superfluous information because as will pointed out at the beginning you're going to be adding things onto it to send so it it takes 
that candy and it pulls out just the candy. It takes the wrapper off. Yeah, it takes the wrapper off and all the the extra things so it will fit in that first doll. Right. Because you're going to be adding a lot of stuff to it. So you want to reduce it down as small as you can to have fewer frames, fewer packets, fewer messages that could get missed. Yeah. And you don't really like this doesn't matter as much in home networking. But mm-hmm. like if you're if you're transmitting packets around the world, like I had a friend uh, who was working for a company that insisted on sub 25 millisecond latency between two of their offices. Okay? OK, one of their offices was in Hong Kong. Their other office was in California. And this was back in the days when all the cables that were first laid went across the Atlantic. Okay, y- y'all can't see my face, so yeah. So they were going round and round with him going, well, you know, can't you fix the speed on this? And he goes, look, if I could fix the speed on this, I wouldn't be working here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I would be taking my hyperdrive and going somewhere cool. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, that's, that's the level of intelligence you need to override physics. Yeah. Like yeah, that. Like totally. Your transmission is not happening. And the other thing that this does is it encrypts the data for security purposes. Right. And that avoids your man-in-the-middle attacks. Like if you right. have a compromised router, yeah. if you're sending HTTP clear text, they can see it. That's why you want to go to HTTPS. Yeah. And you know, this is something that we were discussing just earlier before we started recording is with Google and, you know, we, we've they talked- penalizing you on yeah. your SEO. Now. We, we've, we've talked about Google- really enforcing a lot of rules and stuff and it's kind of good bad yeah but you know i kind of agree with them it stinks for us because that means we have to do some extra work to get an ssl or actually it's tcl or something tsl uh we gotta get a cert yeah we we've got to get a cert for that so yeah i mean google's basically acting like the bouncer of the internet which is good and bad i i I like that it is being enforced. I'm not sure I like the way it's being enforced. Yeah. Well, I mean, ma- the main thing that they're doing is they're dinging people in search results yeah. for not having it, which I, I kind of get because it's like, if, if it's a top Google search result, you kind of want that site to be safe. Yeah. So the final layer we're going to talk about in the, the top layer is your application layer, layer seven. The application layer is concerned with providing users and application processes an interface or way of interacting with the network. It contains resource sharing and device redirection and also provides remote access to files, printers, other things you need to connect to as we get into more IoT world uh, connections to those devices. It also allows for network management, email, virtual terminals, those sorts of things. Right. And this, you know, this layer is kind of open ended at this point, Mm -hmm. right? Because we also like to stack layers on top of those layers to make it even more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the application layer is basically like, yeah, here's the beginning of this, and it just goes from there on out. Oh yeah, there's there were several things where I was reading that said the OSI model does not deal with this because right. it goes beyond the application layer. Right, because at that point, you know, it's it's like who cares? Like, f- for instance, you can control things over email. Like, yeah. you could have you and I could have a protocol stack of our own. Like, we could have written two servers that talk to each other over SMTP and have an interaction over that protocol. Now. SMTP is not guaranteed delivery. This is kind of dumb. Yeah. You don't do that, but you could. It's true. You totally could. We do We do lots of shenanigans over Dropbox. <laughs> that right? is so Dropbox true. Dropbox is packed on top of, I forget what protocol they're using for their stuff. Now, it can't yeah. be HTTP. Um, but, I mean, you can totally do that. Yep. 
So the application layer identifies communication parameters, determines resource availability, and synchronizes communication. So it determines the identity and availability of communication partners for an application with data to transmit. So I, I, I think of this kind of as, in Angular terms, the API factory. This is just basically where you live. Yeah. If you're a developer, most of the time, this is the area where you're going to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this really is where where you're going to be. Whereas, like, when I was talking about the three upper layers, that was more of a model. This yeah. is where that model lives, is right. in the application layer. Um, the layer or the protocols in it don't determine resource availability, but the logic in the application at this layer does. Uh, what is done at the application level is specific to the application or set of applications. You know, the most important distinction within this layer is the distinction between the application entity and the application. So, for example, you may have a website with two application entities. And I pulled this example from, from Wikipedia. I'm altering it a little bit. But one entity uses HTTP to communicate with its users. whereas the other one is used for the remote database protocol to record things. Right. Neither of these protocols have anything to do with the functionality of the website. Like that doesn't, what the website does doesn't matter to these protocols at all. Right. All they care about is, hey, I'm sending data up to be presented. Hey, I'm sending data down to be stored or pulling it from the storage. Guys, this has been a very brief overview of networking layers, and there is a lot of information beyond what we've talked about. Use this as sort of a starting point to learn more about how the application that you are writing is passing data around. Now, while most of us developers will not get into the lower layers except on rare occasions, it is kind of good to know some of the basics of networking so you can better diagnose and debug problems when they arise. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to point out again um, just how many layers of complexity there are in all the stuff that we're doing. Um, it's very easy for us to talk about uh, things like how complex uh, JavaScript is, for instance, and how complex uh, web development has gotten. At some point, you realize that when you do that Ajax call, you're actually going through you know seven layers basically that you don't even know anything about or that you're not directly influencing. And that's true on your networking. That's true on all of your devices. So like the complexity of a browser showing something on your screen, there's some real serious code in there and a lot of uh, very complex optimizations that have happened. There's a lot of optimizations that happen between different pieces of hardware when they're communicating over the system bus. Uh, this is common all the way down. We wrap things in abstractions in software development specifically so you don't have to deal with these things. Uh, and the important point here is not to go, oh, well, it's so complex. I don't have to, I don't learn it all or I don't have to learn it all. The point is to understand that there is something else there and to never mistake the larger ecosystem for what you're seeing in software development. It's a really big world and there's a lot of stuff out there and it's it's worth learning a lot of it because at some point you're going to run into it. So that's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. 
If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.